1962, a young pastor found himself in jail in Albany, Georgia. His offense? He'd led a prayer vigil. He spent 15 days in that prison cell. And if you could put yourself in his shoes for a moment, I I can only imagine how angry I would be at having my freedom taken away because I held a prayer vigil. That anger might even approach hate. But for this young pastor... He took advantage of those 15 days and began to write a book. During his 15 days in that prison, he actually wrote these words. Returning hate for hate only multiplies hate. Driving deeper darkness into a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That young pastor, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., was a remarkable man. One of the most important voices of the 20th century. He went to college when he was 15 years old. And he eventually graduated with his doctorate in systematic theology from Boston University. And that book he began to write while in the Albany jail cell. That book and this series named after it are called Strength to Love. And they're based on one simple yet critical point. If we are going to be the people that God calls us to be and do the things that God calls us to do, if we are to help build the world and the future that God dreams of, We must follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and find the strength to love. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 10, verses 5 through 16. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. See, I am sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents 
and innocent as doves. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You might be saying to yourself, that's an interesting passage with which to begin the new year. Let me tell you why. I think this is the perfect passage because this is the first time that anyone is ever sent forth with the mission of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus right here in this passage. It never happened before. Jesus was sending the disciples for the first time to proclaim his message of hope and love in the world. And Jesus knew that the world to which he was sending them was often going to be hostile. In fact, to the point that in time it will cost Jesus' own life. life, And and not only that, the lives of the disciples who he sent out that day. But Jesus was willing to pay that price so that the world could hear the message of redemption and repentance that it so desperately needed. And as Jesus sends the disciples out, he describes first the nature of the mission and then the nature of the mission field. Let's talk about the mission first. Jesus says that there are three things the disciples needed to know about the mission. They needed to know the scope of the mission. They needed to know the power of the resources they were given to accomplish the mission. And then they also needed to know the limitations of the mission. Now, we've got some military leaders watching today. And my guess is that you would say, well, that's really important to any mission. You've got to know the scope. You've got to know your resources. You've got to know your limitations. Jesus was a fantastic leader. He begins with the scope. He says, I don't want you to go to the Gentiles, and I don't want you to go to the Samaritans. I want you to go to the people of Israel. Now, why is that? Is it because Jesus didn't care about the Gentiles or the Samaritans? No, of course not. In time, the gospel of Jesus Christ would be the message that called all the world to redemption and forgiveness. Now, I think Jesus did this for two reasons. First, because of the historic nature of the relationship between God and the chosen people of Israel, but also because as God was sending the disciples out to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ in this moment, it was their first time doing it. And so Jesus sent them to those who they knew. Jesus sent them to their their neighbors and their loved ones and the people in the communities around them, the people that would understand them and the message. Jesus often does the same thing for us. He sends us first to our loved ones, to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors. Jesus begins by defining the scope of the mission. Second thing he does, Jesus shares the power that the disciples will have to accomplish the mission. He says, cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Can you imagine how the disciples felt when Jesus said those things to them? But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, and by way of the things that you need, you don't need anything. You don't need gold. You don't need silver. You don't need a change of clothes. You don't need a change of shoes. You don't need any food. And here's what Jesus was trying to communicate to the disciples That God had a profound calling, a mission for them. And the one thing they needed to accomplish that mission, to meet every single need from the lowliest to the most audacious, the one thing they needed to accomplish their mission was God. I hear from you guys about the mission to which God calls you. And some of the things that God is calling you to do are pretty audacious. But here's the good news. 
that the God who calls us to do audacious things is also the God who can accomplish the audacious things. Jesus defines the scope of the mission. He defines the power, resources that the disciples are given. And finally, he talks about the limitations of the mission. Jesus said, you're going to go to some people in some communities and they're not going to want to hear what you have to say. The unfortunate reality for us is that we can go to exactly the people God calls us to go to, living in the fullness of God's power, and sometimes those people are not going to want to hear what we have to say. Why? Because God gave us free will. Because all of us have the right to say no to God. And so Jesus says, when that happens, we're not supposed to become dejected. When that happens, we're supposed to shake the dust off our sandals and move on. I've preached about this twice since I've been here at Ebenezer, so just give me a 30-second rejoinder here. Shaking the dust off our sandals is not condemnation. It's not condemning the people around us. Shaking the dust off our sandals is saying, God, I can't do this when only you can. Because if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, we are reminded that while you and I can't make anything out of the dust, God makes amazing things out of the dust. Jesus articulates the mission, defining the scope, the resources, and the limitations. And then, then Jesus turns and begins to describe the mission field. He said, I am sending you out like sheep amongst the wolves. Therefore, be wise as the serpent and innocent as the dove. I love the way in his book, Strength to Love, that Martin Luther King Jr. speaks about this passage. Wise as serpent and gentle as the dove. What he says is that what Jesus is telling us here in this passage is that we must have a strong mind and a soft heart. That's what it means to be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove, to have a strong mind and a soft heart. And he goes on to distinguish amongst the minds and the hearts. He says, we have the option to have a strong mind or a weak mind. A strong mind sees the world as it is. A weak mind sees the world as you want it to be. He tells a great story about going to, walk to, to New York City where he entered a, a large hotel he walked into the elevator and there was an elevator attendant whose guy, whose job, this guy's only job was to, to press the elevator button. 14th floor, please. Okay. So Dr. King got in, told him his floor, and they start going up in the elevator. And Dr. King notices that there's no 13th floor. He turns to the attendant and he says, why is there no 13th floor? And the attendant says, oh, well, in most major hotels you go into, there won't be a 13th floor because people are superstitious about the number 13 they don't want to stay on the 13th floor. Then the attendant got this wry smile on his face and he looked back at Dr. King and he said, the irony is that even though we call it the 14th floor, it's still the 13th floor. Dr. King tells the story to demonstrate that our fears are oftentimes based on things that aren't real. Our beliefs can be based on seeing only what we want to see. The soft mind sees what it wants to see the tough mind, the tough mind, sees what really is. 
He also distinguishes between the hard and soft hearts. He said, a hard heart is never going to be moved to compassion, but a soft heart. A soft part will help to make a difference in the world. We'll put this together, and Dr. King says that Jesus' command to us as being wise as serpents and gentle as doves is to have a tough mind that sees the world as it is and a soft heart that is willing to do something about it. But that unfortunately the consequence of our sin can be that we reverse that order rather than a tough mind and a soft heart. Sometimes we can find ourselves with a weak mind and a hard heart. Dr. King said this. He said, there's little hope for us in our personal and collective lives until we become tough-minded enough to break loose from the shackles of prejudice, half-truths, and downright ignorance. The shape of the world today does not permit us the luxury of soft-mindedness. A nation or civilization that continues to produce the soft-minded is using an installment plan to purchase its own spiritual death. King preached about these things in the midst of a time of great civil disagreement and mistrust. It was a time of crisis. You know, last summer, issues of racial justice and reconciliation were made front and center in our nation once more following the death of George Floyd. We saw so much energy around racial reconciliation and justice. And then, as often happens in our current environment, quickly became a polarizing conversation. That's often the way we're taught to do things out there in the world. Pick a side. As a church, we tried to model something different in that season. I had someone come to me and ask if they could lead a group for our police officers and first responders that helped them deal with the trauma they encounter in their jobs. I was really excited that that group launched last year. Also last year, we stood up a group of people who wanted to work and dream and pray and learn around this issue of racial reconciliation. We did both. In the midst of in the midst of that time, there are two things that really, really struck me, not just as a person, but as, as a leader of a church. There are a lot of things that struck me, but two, two that I want to share with you today. One of the things that was brought into stark relief for me this past year is merely a statistical reality. It's that As you look at the communities around Ebenezer Church, our Stafford community, Stafford as a whole is about 70% white and about 30% persons of color. But as I looked at Ebenezer, Ebenezer was more 90% white, 10% persons of color. This isn't a new problem or challenge. Martin Luther King reflected almost 60 years ago now that the most segregated hour of the week in the United States of America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. But 
my guess is that all of us would agree that we want to be the neighborhood church for everyone. We want everyone to feel welcome and loved and heard and understood and cared for at Ebenezer Church. So are there things that as a church we can do to help our congregation be more reflective of our community? It's one of the questions that emerged for me last year. Here was the second one. Had a lot of conversations over the phone with a lot of different people in the course of this last year. A number of times I had a chance to speak with persons of color from our congregation and called them, checked on them. And in the midst of some of those conversations, some of those people told me some stories. And they're not my stories to tell you, but here's what I can promise you. There are some people in our community, our congregation, people that you know and I know and we love who have been hurt by others because of the color of their skin. Part of Ebenezer's vision is to be a place of hope and healing. So the second question that emerged for me was, how can we be a church of healing and reconciliation for those who have been hurt by racial prejudice? Those two questions. How do we become more reflective of our community? And how can we as a congregation be hope and healing in our community around race? Those two questions drove that racial reconciliation work group. We met every week from July into August, every week for those two months. During those conversations, we, we listened We learned from a fantastic curriculum. And eventually we got to the point that we were ready to dream. And over the course of these next few weeks, I'm going to share with you a few of the different dreams that came out of that work group. But I wanted to begin with this one. So when Ebenezer Church wants to feed people who are hungry... We don't open a food bank. We partner with Serve, an organization that's already got boots on the ground and is doing this ministry well. When we want to make an impact on homelessness in our region, we don't start a shelter. We partner with places like Micah Ministry and the Thurman Brisbane Center. They already have the boots on the ground. They're doing the work. And we come alongside to help them and resource them. When Ebenezer Church wanted to make a difference on the global landscape and the lives of children, we joined together with a group called Helping Children Worldwide. Ebenezer has this history of partnering with organizations that are already doing great work. Well, in 2014, a man from Stafford named Vernon Green, a retired Army Chief Warrant Officer, began a company called G3. It's an information technology company. That was his background. And G3 took off. It wasn't long before Mr. Green decided he wanted to give something back. And so he began a not-for-profit called G3 Community Services. Does a lot of great work with a lot of different people. But primarily, they work with persons of color. I wanted to share with you a couple of the programs that they undertake One is called the Extraordinary Young Minds Program. It's a mentorship program that partners young people who perhaps don't always have 
the best role models in their lives or need extra role models in their lives with people who are willing to be those role models. Now, one of the things I know about Ebenezer Church is we have some people in our congregation who are passionate about mentoring young people. One of the other programs that they run engages with young people who have just graduated from high school. People who aren't ready yet to go on to college or maybe just don't want to. And it helps these young people get connected with employers that will teach them a trade. One of the dreams that came out of this work group was that Ebenezer would enter into intentional mission partnership with local groups that are already doing the good work of bringing racial reconciliation and healing in our community. So I'm pleased today to announce Ebenezer has begun a relationship with G3CS. We'll hear more about that as things begin to soften and those missions that they're undertaking can become in person again. Two thousand years ago, Jesus sent his first followers on the first mission. And Jesus sends us still. Today we've talked about one part of the mission. If you remember early on, Jesus defined the scope, the resource, the limitations. What is the scope of this mission? It's right here in our Stafford community, in our own church even. What are our resources? Well, we've got some pretty great mission partners, but most importantly, we have a tremendous God. What are the limitations? Limitations are only if we choose not to do the good work. This partnership is not the only dream that that work group developed, and I, I can't wait to tell you more. I hope that you will join with us next week as we continue this series about having the strength to love as we learn more from Jesus Christ. We learn more from Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who once said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Until next week, may the living God grant us all the wisdom of the serpent and the gentleness of the dove. Amen.